Welcome back to Project Growth. I'm your host, Vin Matano, and on today's episode, I have a new friend that's a guest. His name is Jack Ryan, and he has an incredible story to share. Jack and I originally got connected because we're kind of in the same circles. We're the same age. We're both in sales. We both work in the tech space, and we have a lot of mutual connections. And I came across Jack's story. He's someone that was always and still is very active, um, suffered actually a spinal cord injury in jiu-jitsu and left him paralyzed. And um, he kind of shares his story of, of how that happened and how that affected him, but he didn't let it stop him. He still is active to this day. Of course, there was a long road to recovery and he even achieved something of, of greatness. He climbed to the top of Mount Whitney, which is the tallest peak in the US. And this is just a story that I like to go back to. This is a one of my favorite episodes that I've done. Um, so I'm excited for you guys to listen to it. And without further ado, let's jump right into it. So Jack, man, I, uh, I got a chance to look at like all of your content online. And you seem like someone who has a very interesting life, like from the climbing to like the van life, working in the tech space, which we're going to get into all that stuff. But like, Tell me about who Jack was like growing up. Like, who were you as a kid? And I, uh, well, one, stoked we could connect then. Um, and I'm glad, I think I mentioned to you on our last chat, it's cool to have like these young mid 20 somethings, like just crushing it in tech and then everyone just gets connected. So stoked to be here, one. But um, yeah, who was Jack before uh, before all the work, before the accident and stuff? Um, grew up in SoCal in San Diego. Uh I like to joke that I was a spoiled brat on the Southern California coastline. Uh, I grew up surfing all over the Western United States. Uh, grew up surfing in Hawaii, grew up surfing in Mexico. Um, I also was heavily into like spear fishing and, and free diving. Um, what else, man? I, How'd you get into all that stuff? Was like your parents into it or siblings? No, it was just organic. Um, we like the spear fishing came about. We grew up, uh, going to Catalina Island off the coast of LA every summer with a, a family friend who would sail, sail us there on a boat. And, um, we just were like, we want to know how to dive deeper, but without like scuba tanks, cause scuba diving is lame or so we thought. And, uh, that's how we got into free diving. Um, cause we all couldn't dive past 20 feet. And then I learned how to dive to like 80 to hundred and it was like life-changing. Um, but yeah, I grew up also backpacking, um, playing paintball, hunting, like everything, all the cool things that you see on Instagram now that everyone's like, oh yeah, like this is what I do. It's like, I was very privileged and fortunate enough to do growing up. And it was just all organic. And um, our parents were just like, as long as you don't die, like, and you can pay for it, like go do it. Right. They were supportive, yeah. but um they definitely like we had to buy our own gear and all that sort of thing. I feel like I'm at that now. Like I did not grow up with like any of that, like in terms yeah. of like the outdoorsy stuff. And, and now as I'm older, like I'm trying to get way more into it. I'm like definitely way far behind, but I'm trying to get more into it, get outside more, you know, working from home and stuff. So it is funny. It's kind of like kind of trending the past few years. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, um, you know, there's no, it's not a competition to, as to your point of like getting there and like now you're just, just exploring it. But um, it's everything that is kind of seen as extreme, like some of the things I mentioned, like I was really into big wave surfing, like 10, 12, 14 foot waves, like that sort of thing. Like, Jesus, that was, that was normal. Like, that is normal for me. Like, you, you just know how it is. Like, 
one person's performance at work is normal to them, but to somebody else, that's like an extreme, right? So um, to me, the way I grew up is extreme, extreme mm-hmm. uh, to a lot of people, but um, it's just normalized to me. So what, yeah. what do you like about that stuff? Like for me, it's like, that's terrifying to surf like a, a big wave, like for me, you know, like what do you yeah. like about it? Um, I like as like prior to my accident, I was really into like fight sports and jujitsu and obviously because, and, uh, surfing and all that. I think for me, it was, um, I like pushing the envelope, like physically and mentally. And I've always been that way. And there's something we have a, like, you know, the different types of fun, right? Like type one, type two, type three. Are you familiar with that? that? Yeah. Talk to me about that. Yeah. So type one fun is like when you're in the moment, you're like, wow, this is enjoyable. Like I'm having a great time. Right. Type two fun is this isn't quite, this isn't enjoyable right now, but then you finish it and you're like, wow, that was great. Like that was like terrifying and great. And then like type three fun is uh, you do it and you're like, I don't really want to do that again. Like that was, that sucked. But, and then you look down on it like three, four years later and like, wow, that was actually pretty fun. So, um, I grew up in a a crew and and a friend group where type two fun was the norm where being, being scared was, uh, okay. (laughs) Being in deep water was seen as good. Um, you know, so I, yeah, man, it's, it's just normalized to me. It's, I don't get scared of with it. And, uh, there's always levels, right? Like you think you're at one level, you're like, Oh, I can dive 60 feet. And then somebody's like, Oh, I dive 120 feet. You're like, well, how do I get there? Right. And it just becomes like not a game of like one upsmanship, but you definitely have to be cognizant of like how far are you actually pushing it? Cause you do have to know your limits. And then when you get right to that limit, you just push it a little bit more like with surfing or diving. And then you do it like once or twice and you bring it back down and then you keep going a little bit more and more. And then eventually you're surfing like a double overhead wave in Hawaii (laughs) and you're the wave is massive. And like, if you fall, like you're bashing your head on the reef and cutting yourself up like that sort of thing. So yeah, it's about like the, I just read the uh, compound effect. I don't know if you ever read that. Yeah. Uh, I I haven't read that, but I, I I'm familiar with it. Right. And it sounds like that's kind of the idea there. It's like small incremental improvements over time to get to a point where you're surfing these like, you know, 10 foot waves or whatever. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. And then, so I saw on your LinkedIn that you, you had some like, uh, you know, different experiences with entrepreneurship. So like you mentioned like curb painting and like, you know, flipping surfboards, like how did that come about? Yeah, I, I've always known that I wanted to, or I want to be a business owner or like a founder or exact in some form. Um, and so what that looked like growing up was we were always, and you said it when we were originally shot, like you're, you're, you're a hustler. Like you like hustling. You've been at demand, demand base for my, sorry, um, for three years, almost four years now. Right. So it's like, and you've hustled and you just knew sales was your thing. For me, I, I grew up in a family that um, for better and worse is very big on like hyper independence and like supporting yourself. Um, and so we were always like, Hey, like if you want something, and you can't afford it. Like as a young kid, we, I had to give PowerPoint presentations on why I should get an airsoft gun. No way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, and that's how I got my first like airsoft gun as a Grom, like as a little kid. Uh, and then like, it became the curb painting where my best friend and I 
we were like, well, we want to make money, but we're not really old enough to go like formally work. So like <laughs> we want cash. How do we get it? And uh, it manifested itself in going door to door, knocking on old old people's doors, being like, hey, like we notice <laughs> we notice you have no address on your curb. Like that's a fire hazard and an issue of like 911 is called. Well, you know, what are your thoughts on us paying your curb for like 20, 40 bucks or something like that? Right. And so we did that for like, I don't know, a month and a half, two months during a hot summer. Um, hated it. But it was a good, it was a great lesson. And then fast forward through high school and college, uh, surfing, surfing, like you always want to have different boards to try. And so I ended up falling in love with very expensive surfboards, which um, that can range anywhere from a thousand to five thousand dollars, depending on who who made it. And so uh, that was my MO through high school and college, where I would just I would go seek these rare boards out only pretty much on Craigslist, maybe on like OfferUp or, or Facebook. And I would go purchase them at a, at a lower price. I would ride them for like anywhere from like a week to like a few months. And then I would flip them for a profit. And that was like, that paid my, my bar tabs as I like to joke through college. So. Wow. And that's funny. You mentioned like your first dip in entrepreneurship was around like, just like curb painting, right? On the yeah. East coast where I'm from, it, how I started getting into like entrepreneurship, I guess, was when it would snow, we would go door to door and, and, you know, show people's uh, sidewalks for, like you said, like 10, 20 bucks. And to us, we thought we were like rich. You know, if we got five houses that paid us 20 bucks, like we just made a hundred bucks, me and my, my neighbor. And we were like static, like on top of the world. <laughs> um, do you still do any of that? Like kind of hustle, like, you know, side hustle thing to still. Yeah. I, um, I'm get I've, been getting into professional speaking i'm hoping my my next gig will be fully paid um i did i did i did several speeches last year on stages like around motiva- motivational speaking and then i got connected with some folk and uh, i did my first like seven hour long session about a month ago wow um, for some fortune I think fortune 100 or fortune 500 companies. I, I always get the difference confused, but um, yeah. So I'm waiting on the, the follow-up for that for the next gig and then that'll be fully paid. Um, so that's my current like little side hustle that will eventually add income um, beyond the standard, you know, W2. I always try to have something, you know, it is, it's like, it's, it's never enough. Yeah. Right. So uh, that's the, that's the current side hustle is professional speaking. Mm, got it. And I listened to your, the Saster presentation you did mm-hmm. and that was really, was that your first one? That was, yeah, that was my first one. Wow. Yeah. Dude, you know what I was thinking? You had to do those presentations when you were a kid to, you know, get an airsoft gun or whatever. It probably helped honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I hadn't made a presentation since like college. So like when, how that happened was, Jason and Amelia, my GM, and obviously Jason Lumpkin, they email me like, hey, do you want to speak at Saster? Like you just did this massive Whitney hike. Uh, you're, you've crushed it at sales in four months. Like you should get on stage. And I go, okay. <laughs> like I like public speaking. It's not hard. Um, and yeah, they, I literally had three and a half, four days to make that happen. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was, it was the 27th most popular session at annual annual last year. So 
uh, that was really cool. Um, it definitely, it was interesting. I, I had people approaching me being like, Hey, what's your strategy for this? Like, do you, could you be an advisor at this company? I'm like, I am 26. I have no business talking about it. It was a heavy dose of imposter syndrome. And I still deal with that on a daily basis where like, I don't actually know what I'm talking about. And then like, I'm sure you've experienced this where you hop on a call and you kind of listen to the crawl recording after, or you're actually like processing everything as you speak. And you're like, Oh, I actually know what the hell I'm talking about. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I saw like major imposter syndrome when I like first joined demand base, I joined demand base like right out of college and, you know, we were selling, you know, enterprise software, like CMOs, VP of marketing. And these people have been in the space like 20 years and here's me like, you know, trying to advise them on like a marketing strategy. But, but like you said, man, with the reps, it really does like over time, I feel like extremely confident now talking on the, on like the topic of, of what demand base kind of helps with. Um, it's just like the reps, like you said, over time, how do you deal with imposter syndrome? With the reps, the reps, right? That's <laughs> it's it. Just reps. Yeah. I, it's, uh, I've had like, I closed a, my first like larger deal a month ago, month and a half ago. Congrats. congrats. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and that was like from start to finish, I, I ran the full cycle and I like when it closed, I was like, Oh, I did that. <laughs> like sick. Like, Oh, look at this commission check. That's even better. Right. Uh, but it's, there's still work to be done. There's still work to be done. I, I, the guys I work with are like 1% level. And so, you know, you hear them talk and you hear the way they pitch and the way they talk about Saster from an events perspective and how they can just dive into any, like topic around the event and like where it'll benefit each different prospect and how it all correlates. Uh, I all, I always hop off calls. I'm like, there's levels. There's, oh, always, yeah. there's always levels. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, that comes with time, man. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get yeah. there. Yeah. And I want to kind of dive into, you mentioned like the presentation you did at Saster, obviously about your story that, you know, the accident and, and then also the climb. So, you know, can you take me through like, you know, that point where you were, you know, the kid painting curbs, you got into jujitsu, like, you know, how did that, you know, I guess roll out? Yeah. So I, I grew up wrestling and doing karate and doing all those like kind of combat sports. Um, and so it was organic. I, I got into jujitsu into jujitsu in like 2015. Like I was exposed to it while I was living in Nicaragua. I was working as a surf guide. And it was like a Brazilian owned camp. And like, I would known of jujitsu, but I never really practiced it. So I, got, I like did some sessions there with the black belt. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. But I'm way too broke in college to like afford to pay for this. So fast forward, I think it was like two years, uh, got into it again, like full time was training like six, seven days a week. And um, yeah, I was coming off of a, like a, a minor injury prior to my accident and I just switched schools because of like location reasoning. And it was a, it was a day like any other, like 12, it was like 1249 PM on a, I want to say it was like a Thursday, I think. And I was in a protective position and the black belt I was sparring with, uh, put his just knee into the back of my neck, torqued me over, uh, immediately like, you know what, I say this on every chat I have about this, but you know what a, a tree sounds like when it breaks? Uh, yeah. yeah. That's what your neck sounds like when it breaks. Oh. 
yeah it's uh so everyone stopped in the room like everyone was wide-eyed like i'd yelled out and then i go oh my god i can't move i can't move um 911 called i get stripped down uh cart me to the icu not going too far into details because that could be like an hour two hour long combo but 12 hours after um due to internal bleeding I lacerated one of my vertebral arteries, one of the main arteries that go to the brain from the bone fragments. That pooled a bunch of blood in my neck, which they were, I, I don't know if they were or weren't aware of it, but that resulted in me having numerous clots pass through my brain, hemorrhagic stroke, about 12 to 13 hours post-accident. So I was like double try. It's like you paralyzed from the neck down in, they found out it was an incomplete spinal cord injury. So the difference, the reason I walk is my injury is incomplete. Uh, and that means signals are able to get past the bruising in the spinal cord. Had it been complete, uh, it would have meant that I would have lost everything from the deltoids down, like just gone. Uh, so yeah, hemorrhagic stroke. And then it was intubated, was on a trach. You obviously can see the scar, uh, ventilator, forced oxygen. All I had were my eyes for about, uh, about a weekish, give or take. So we had like a, an alphabet board and I, cause I couldn't talk. I had no voice either because when they intubate you, they take your voice away mm. right? and all you can do is just, mm, mm, and then there's tubes coming out of your throat and mouth and oxygen and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, I would use the, use my eyes to point out letters on the alphabet board while I was in the ICU. And eventually things just snowballed and not go too deep into the recovery part, but was able to barely walk out of the hospital about four and a half months later. Uh, what, what was like going through your head, like in the first few weeks, like that must've been like, I can't even imagine like super scary. Um, I had to be the rock for everyone. Like I had, I had such an innate self-belief that I was going to be okay. And things gonna, were going to work out for the best that I had to convince everyone else around me that it was going to be that way. And that innate belief of like, I'm that innate belief of, Oh, I'm going to be successful or, Oh, I'm going to be great. Or I'm going to be a movie star. Like I've had that since before I was like, even 18, like that's always been in the back of my mind in some form. And we just, we're still learning what that looks like and what that will manifest itself into. But, uh, that, yeah, it was, I was playing the rock for everyone. It was like, I'd be like, Hey, I'm going to walk again. And then I would look at, you know, when I got my voice back, I'd look at my family and be like, like do you believe I'm going to walk again? And they're like, yeah. Like, and they've told me, they're like, we had no idea. We didn't think you were. And I was like, yeah, you don't bet against me ever. <laughs> Never bet against me. Yeah. That's amazing. And that, I mean, that's, uh, you have to rely on that. I mean, these are the one or two ways it can go. Right. So you have to, you have to have that like attitude going forward. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, when you're actually put in a life or death situation, you really find to find out why, like what you're made of, what's your why. And like all that, all the work you did prior, right. Of like, I grew up in combat sports, wrestling, jujitsu. I grew up free diving to depth. Like, I ran 20 miles a week at like a six minute mile. I trained jujitsu. I surfed four days a week. Like I was in elite, I'd had a four or 500 pound deadlift, elite shape, right? 
So it's like all that foundational stuff that I set over the course of like a decade plus manifests itself in it the worst at, at the best possible time in the worst possible situation. Mm. And it paid dividends. What was your why? Uh, one, I didn't want to die. <laughs> um, obviously, I think like the why for walking again, the why for just in general, like, well, you mentioned like, yeah, you have to have like a strong, like why, like, you know, of course, like, yeah, the why would be, yeah, I want to be able to walk again, but did you get, did, you know, maybe we'll jump ahead a little bit, but did you have your kind of like mind already set on doing something like Mount Whitney? Like, was that your why or? No, no, they, I just, I think my why was I'm a bad motherfucker and I'm going to make this shit happen. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. As simple as that is, I, I've always felt that way. And now there's not a person in any room that can question me on that. Right. And then it's my, my also another, I think going a bit deeper is I've always wanted when I enter a room for my reputation story to precede me. Like, I don't like, it's very, it's bit, it's ego driven, but like, I, I don't want, like, I want to introduce myself, but like, I want people to know who I am because I'm massive on community. And it's very important to me to have a, like a big, healthy, communicative community. And so it's got like, I'm at that point where my friends make the intros for me with when I make, you know, the rounds, whether it's personally or professionally, like, Hey, like this is this guy, he's done X, he's a phenomenal human. Like you should connect. And that happens all the time where people are like, Hey, y'all are great humans. Like you should connect. And I, I love, I love that. So I think one, I like being a bad motherfucker and I like saying what I'm going to do and making it happen. But two, I'm really big on, and on the community piece and like being somebody that is loved and admired by everyone in that room, even mm -hmm. if I haven't talked to them, you know? Gotcha. Yeah. You're speaking my language on that. And I think community, like the whole idea of like community is, is, is definitely getting more popular in terms of like just conversations about community. Yeah. So, so, you know, for you, what's the, what's the greatest way to like form a community? Ooh, this is a deep one because we're men, right? So we're not yeah. encouraged to have a support system, right? Like as men, we're not taught to communicate. We're not taught to be open with our emotions, we aren't taught to reach out. And so I recognize very, from a very young age that uh, love my dad to death, but he's not a, he's not, he hasn't been a great communicator in the past. And I promised myself, I was like, I will never, ever, ever be like that. Mind you, my dad and I are very close and communicate openly now, but um, it was like that for much of my childhood. And I recognized that I was like, okay, I don't want to be that way. And so I started just openly sharing my emotions and openly telling people where I was at. Like I, you follow me on Instagram, Instagram, like I'm pretty open with my right. I don't know if you read anything, but like, I'm pretty open with my writing. Right. And now, and now it's transitioning over to LinkedIn. Right. And then if I look at my personal life, like whenever I meet somebody, it's like, I always come with a level of respect and, and trust until, you know, they prove me otherwise, obviously. But um, I think people are inherently good. And when you are vulnerable with anyone and everyone, it allows you to form a bond, even if it's not like an immediate friendship or doesn't manifest into anything crazy. But that vulnerability piece, if you're able to be vulnerable, 
it allows you to create a broader community because then it makes people feel comfortable to come forward and be like, Hey, I'm doing X. Like, how can, you know, I need help with this. Like, how can you help? Right. And then when somebody comes to you and says like, Hey, how can, like, can you help me out? That's, that's not a, a weight on me. That's like, I'm like, wow, I'm so glad you came to me with that. Right. Whether it's personal, professional, um, like athletic stuff. So I think to build a community, it all starts with vulnerability. And I, you see it, the trend, like you can see it transitioning over into like SaaS and like B2B tech, where it's like, everyone's so community driven, quote unquote, community driven for sales. But I don't think it's, it's a hype. It's a, it's a uh, buzzword. Yeah. It's a buzzword right now. Right. But I, I think there's very few people that are great at that. And like, it's just becoming a thing and we'll see if the trend continues. Right. Cause if, if like 15, 20 people in like the LinkedIn sphere say like video prospecting is the future, everyone's going to be like, Oh, that's the future. Right. So, right. It's the same way for, for community. It's like communities and social selling is the future. Do I believe that a thousand percent it's the inbox is arbitrage cold calling is there, but it's like, you know, you're having multiple channels. What really happens is, and why I brought up the point about like reputation preceding me when I enter a room, it's like, if you know, so-and-so works at X company, why would you want to get prospected when you could literally just go to them and be like, Hey, I know you work at demand base. I know demand base is a great product. Like how can we get started? Right. And that's, that's where that social selling piece and that's where that community piece really becomes like a critical factor. In terms of like this openness that you talked about, like, was this something you always had or was this something that maybe you gained like a new perspective, like post-accident? Uh, no, I've always been this way. I, really? I grew up with really, really strong female role models, really strong female role models. And they always taught me to communicate. Um, when I think about female role models, I think about my mom who came from the dirt, literally uh, dead, broke, abusive household. Right. I, I think of my stepmom who is a GM at a software, uh, like a, software company, um, computer science undergrad, master's at Kellogg's, like exec level. Um, I think of my aunt who has been financially independent since 18, owns her own home, like works only part-time because she can. Like very, very strong female role models. And um, to that end of like how I brought up, men don't know how to communicate and don't know how to be vulnerable. Women do, women are great at this, right? So having those female role models growing up and noting how my dad communicated, noting how the males around me communicated and and bowing to myself that I never wanted to be like that. I took notes and I just was like, I'm just going to be as open as vulnerable as possible because at the end of the day, we're all human. (laughs) We're all going to cry. We all shit on the same toilet. Like it's all the same. So why would you not be open about it? Like what's, What's there to be scared of? We all share the same human experience of like sadness, anger, happiness, et cetera. Uh, and there's no shame. I like, I cried last week. I like, okay. My friend, my friend texts me yesterday. She's like, I finally snapped and like cried because of grad school. And I thought I was going to make it through the whole semester. I was like, why are you texting me of this? I, I'm glad that you cried. <laughs> it's like, you're fine. It's good. Right. You know? Yeah. I can, I can relate to you as well. I mean, I, my family is like mostly women. Yeah. Um, so I kind of grew up in the, in the same instance, like 
you know, lived with my mom, I have two, two sisters. My mom is one of four, all girls. Mm-hmm. They're like, you know, they're all divorced. So it's just all women. They have daughters. I have like one guy cousin, you know, so like Thanksgiving, I always make the joke, like Thanksgiving in my house, there's no football on ever. It was just like, yeah. you know, whatever the girls want to watch, but yeah, I can, I can definitely relate to that. You know, women being more, more open for sure. Yeah. Um, to kind of like take a step back, you mentioned, so we, we kind of left off of like you going through the recovery. How long did that, like, I don't want to say how long, cause you probably, you know, what was that process like in terms of the recovery from, you know, the accident to, you know, being able to go out and walk? Uh, it entailed eight to 12 hours a day of active therapy nonstop. If I wasn't think if I wasn't moving and like doing it actively during my like my sessions in PT, I was dreaming about it. Hmm. I was thinking about it constantly. Right. So visualizing. Yeah. Visualize. So that's, that's a great point. So like visualization, when I got to inpatient rehab and I told my team, I was like, Hey, like, I'm going to walk out of here in three months. They look at me, they go, Hey, like, we hope you do, but like, we have to prepare you for reality. And then I go, Hey, you don't know who the fuck I am. (laughs) And they're like, okay. Like, and then, but after that, uh, my doctor came to me, he whispered, he gets real close to my ear. He goes, Hey, like, I know you say what you say, like think you're going to do, but like, here's what's actually going to get you to that point. He's like, I need you to visualize those brain signals going down to each and every muscle fiber and limb in your body. And I need you to do that 24 seven, every hour, minute and second of the day. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And like the outcome that I had or have currently is wildly uncommon one but to the to the degree and what i'm doing as well on top of it is not really heard of like there's two people there's one other person like me in the world basically that we do what we do given the severity of our injuries so um yeah that visualization piece was was big i love that that's that's incredible and that's coming from your doctor too which is like even even more impressive that he was yeah there. yeah he he came i think i recall him telling he's like you're probably one of the my team was like you're probably one of the top three case like worst case scenarios we've seen who had the best possible outcome like in decades of experience wow Sick. wow and how many days a week did you mention you were you were training so in in rehab it was five days a week from basically sun up until about 5 p.m 6 p.m and then sometimes after to go in the pool and like swim like get water therapy uh but if i wasn't in rehab and i was like in my room just sitting i was figuring out how to move my limbs i was figuring out how to stretch i was i was what you take for granted right like when you go grab a water bottle or you grab your phone you don't think about it but like when you have to think about it Mm. it's very very hard like i i have a video of me picking up like golf golf tees right and doing this little motion with your fingers with with paralyzed hands like i was sweating really hands paralyzed arms paralyzed shoulders and you're just they're just barely moving and you're trying to do the fine motor control of like pick it up and you're trying to engage your fingers you're trying to engage your wrist your forearms and then you're trying to lift your shoulder simultaneously that's pretty much like my left shoulder was paralyzed for almost four months. Right. And to do that takes an insane amount of mental effort and focus. Right. It's just, uh, 
it's it's wild how much we take movement for granted. Like when you get into a car, you don't think about lifting your feet up, right? You just get in the car. Yeah. When I get in, when I get in my van, I literally it's it's automatic now from just like pattern ha- and habits. But I have to lift my right leg up, so I like re- reach down, I scoop my elbow into my knee on my right leg and then i lift it up place it on the step and then i get into the car right so now go rewind two and a half three years ago and like that's everything you're processing everything i still do when i go walk and i'm out and about um i still have to think about what i'm doing like it's not nothing is automatic that sounds that sounds exhausting man it was, it was exhausting. It was, and on top of the five days a week, then I, I would make my dad, uh, stretch me for like two, three, four, five hours on the weekends because movement, any, any muscle that could be released through stretching and get maybe a single down. I was like, I think I can get more function that way. Mm-hmm. So my dad would stretch me every single day as well. On top of all that. Did we hear about the, uh, uh, was it called fascia stretching? Uh, like deep stretching, basically. I guess, yeah. It sounds like kind of similar to what you were uh, talking about. Like someone's actually like stretching you, and there's like this. I'm probably the worst person to explain this, but there's like this fascia that's between or within your muscles that like is like this sticky fiber that you need to stretch in order to make it like elastic. Yep. Is that what is that what that was kind of? I mean, I guess if we're putting a name to it, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was just I was recently looking into that, and you just it just reminded me. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's. Uh... Yeah, that would be the technical term. So tech, that's what I was technically doing. Right. But um, to me, I just thought I was like, one, I, I loved yoga and stretching prior to my accident anyway. Same. I was hyper flexible. So um, it was just an organic, like natural remedy to pain I was dealing with without using any sort of painkillers. Got it. And so where did like Mount Whitney come into the picture? How did that come about? Yeah. So uh, it was about one month before my accident. It was my senior year of college. I had backpacked before and done all that stuff, but I had went and done the tallest mountain in Southern California, which is only like 11,500 feet. It's not very tall by most standards, but in SoCal it is. I did that on a whim in like nine hours. I was like, it was like, I don't know, 12 to 18 miles, like six to eight K vert, something ridiculous. And I did, I basically ran up that mountain with a backpack on and then summited. And I got to the top of the summit and I, I have the video and the photos still of me being like, like, wow, like this is so amazing. And then I post, I remember I posted on my Instagram story at the time I go, well, the next logical step is go to Mount Whitney. And then a month and a half later, my accident occurs. So Winnie became a pipe dream for a, all of about two and a half months. <laughs> and then I, I, I was, a, it was February, 2019. And I, I was looking at my archive on my Instagram, like just mourning, mourning my body's loss of function, but also looking for some form of inspiration. And I, I saw that person. I was like, well, I'm kind of walking like it was February 19. I was like, I'm kind of walking like, I'm probably going to get my, hit my goal of walking out of here. Maybe it won't happen this year. Like maybe it won't happen next year. Maybe not happen for five years, but all that being said, 
I'm going to go hike Mount Whitney at some point in the future. Right. And Mount Whitney is tallest mountain in the lower 48, 14,505 or 508, depending on who you're asking feet. And I then spent the year 2019 just recovering and 2020 hits. I go, I'm walking ish. I'm in Colorado now. I'm in a perfect place to train for this. I think I'm going to do Whitney this year. This is, 20, this is pre-pandemic. So it began me just starting with like quarter mile walks down my block. No cane, no nothing, which was a horrible idea. Now I walk with a cane in like hiking pools, but um, that's how it started. And then California and became a tinderbox right before we were about to do it. Like literally two weeks before we were supposed to go to the mountain. Uh, California lit on fire, canceled that project and kind of threw my hands up. It's like, I don't know what the fuck to do with my life because I've centered my life around this for now over a year and fast forward into 2021. And once again, applied for permits, didn't get the actual permits for like the main hike, which is only it's 22 miles, but it's a hard 22 miles, like round trip. So that ended up becoming like figuring out alternatives and becoming a 40 mile, mile round trip. So we went from 22 to 40 and like basically three days to four and a half. Jeez. Yeah. It went from gnarly to like really gnarly. Did you, um, did you experience any altitude sickness with that? Is it big enough for that or no? Oh, it's, oh yeah. 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 No, I, I, you know, I've been living in Denver the past two years, so it was, it wasn't a issue for me. Like mm-hmm. We started at 10,000 feet. It was more, it was more of a concern for my, my support team on the, on the trip, just because they lived in San Diego and only one of them is like a freak freak athlete. They all trained. And funnily enough, one of my buddies literally was just ripping his vape the entire time. Like <laughs> just had his nicotine vape the entire time on the trip. Just like, and made it worse. Wild. Yeah, he was the one I was worried about. I was like, I was like, I te- kept texting him in the lead up to. It. I was like, cool, like I need you training, like I need you training. And he he's like, dude, I'm gonna be fine. I went to Machu Picchu with zero training, did like 60 miles of hiking with no like nothing. And I go, like, oh, dude, you're an adult. I'll take you at your word for it. If you hinder this trip in any way, I will fucking murder you. <laughs> and the entire time, just. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And I, I, it was funny. We got off the mountain. I'd been sober for months and like, hadn't done anything. And like the first thing I hit the bottom, like recoup myself after like crying and like drinking a bunch of water. And I saw, I see him with his fucking vape and I go, can I hit that? And he's like, of course <laughs> he was like, it was heaven on earth. The, the moment I had it now, mind you, I don't smoke. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was just one of those moments where I was like, just to celebrate. <laughs> yeah that's amazing what was like you mentioned that was what four four days you said yeah four days four days and i saw i don't know i saw something online you were like bleeding or something yeah man bled a lot on that trip but is that just from the altitude no that's from falls oh you oh yeah so a lot of a lot of uh i have a, a, a saying it's like if you're not bleeding you're not trying and that holds that holds itself true for when I go hiking that holds itself true when I go climbing, uh, just with the way I move the lack of function. Sometimes I do fall 
it just is what it is. And I do bleed a lot. My, especially my knees, I've cut like, I've cut up a lot of my body, all my arms, all my hands, all my legs. Um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of blood. I, blood doesn't bother me though. I was like, it's just, <laughs> it's just a scratch. We're fine. So, right. It, it, have, I just recently watched 14 peaks. I'm sure you've seen it already. Yeah. Insane. Yeah, okay. Um, and again, me not being a climber or a hiker or anything like that, I thought it was like fucking awesome. Yeah. And it kind of like, I, I kind of want to get into it now. I'm like this, he made it look, I know like what he did, it was insane, but I kind of yeah. want to like start slowly and try to do some mountains. Like, well, what's your, what's your advice for someone like me to try to like slowly get into this? Living in New York? Yeah. Go, I mean, yeah, I guess so. Go on the Appalachian trail. Appalachian? Yeah. So there's like the Pacific Crest Trail on the West Coast. These are like world famous, yeah. right? They span the length of each coastline. And then there's like two major trails in the central, the central United States. So the PCT is like 2,500 miles. And I think the Appalachian Trail is like 18 to 2,000 miles, something like that. And uh, if hiking is going to be your future MO and like doing like mountains and stuff, uh the the eight the at is what it's called um that's where i would start that's... i don't know if it's gonna be my my mo but i do like to your point way earlier in the conversation like i do like pushing the envelope yeah. so for me that's something completely out of my comfort zone it's something i, I want to try I, I love trying new things as well yeah. um well here's an idea for you do you like running I, yeah i ran the marathon last year all right that's right okay go go do an ultra marathon Ultra, what is that? That's what? Anything longer than a marathon. <laughs> yeah, that's not. So, yeah, it's uh, all my friends are like ultra athletes. Yeah. They're all like, my buddy just outran a Tesla. Don't, not to that degree. That's a whole nother story, but he outran a Tesla about a month ago. Like basically ran 242 miles because the test, they drove the Tesla until it died. And then they're like, all right, this is how far you have to run. And uh, what? Yeah. So you have this like group of just people that are just super like-minded. Yeah. Savage athletes. That's like, amazing. Crazy, crazy, crazy dudes. Uh, need some more female friends like that. But uh, yeah, my buddy last on Saturday did 136 mile off-road bike ride. Like um, he ran rim to rim in the Grand Canyon two weeks prior, 45 miles, 12 K vert. Um my other buddy ran two back-to-back -back ultras in the same month of like, I think I want to say 36 miles and 45 miles. So, um, yeah, my friends are, are different, different breeds, different breeds for sure. I, I really, I truly believe in like surrounding yourself from people that push you. And I'm like, all right, maybe I need to find some more. No, go, go, go run an ultra. It's, I think the issue yeah. is you're in New York, right? You're, you're in the city. Yeah. It's kind of hard, man. Like when I was doing the training for the marathon, like, it's like not great to run like on the streets and there's like you know car it's it's tough it's a little bit tougher like especially my one buddy's trying to get into biking and you have to like go either like drive somewhere to actually then bike like you can't just like go out biking over here um but nonetheless like me and my some, i have a few of my buddies that are trying to slowly get into it and i mean slowly like you know I, I literally just started running like two years ago and then my buddy you know made a sign up for the marathon and that was awesome um, so we're trying to figure out our next thing. I think I signed up for like this Spartan race. It was, we got like a free pass. I know that's nothing crazy, but for me, yeah, it's, it's, it's still worthy. Yeah. It's for me, it's like, it's something new and it's mostly like, you know, obstacles. It's 13 mile obstacle course. I'm like, I, I'll give it a shot. Let's do it. Yeah, I know. Just cause 
I, the the struggle of comparison, right? Like yeah. I look I look at my like general friend group of people that I know. Like we have the ultra athletes, and then I have my buddies who are like big wall El Capitan climbers. Like so, like looking at the collective, I'm always just like, shit, I am not doing enough, right? Like my little hikes are not that much, but in reality, it's like if that's your extreme, that's your extreme. Yeah. Right. There's no, it's not worth, it's easy to fall into it, but it's not worth comparing. It's like, okay, I'm going to go do a Spartan race 13 miles. Okay. Well, next time I'm going to go do a 35 K ultra, which is like 28 miles or something like that, 29 miles. Uh, it's that compound effect to, to that point that you brought up mm. earlier. It's like you start small, you did a marathon. Like, Oh, like that marathon was not, there's a lot, but it wasn't like horrible, like type two fun. And then you're mm. like, well, why couldn't I do 35 miles next time? Right. And then you build a program around that. And then next yeah. thing you know, you're running hundred mile races. That's one thing it taught me too. Like this, the training alone taught me that like, you know, starting from zero, you can easily get to, to a number if you, if you train for it, which is what I, obviously what I was doing. Right. I saw something, uh, I saw like, there was like a film crew when you did Mount Whitney. Yeah. We have a whole film around it. Yeah. Are you, are you guys like shopping that? We did a film premiere in San Diego with like 300 people. Um, the issue that we ran into is it is on YouTube. Um, yeah. Paralyzed Peaks, just type it in on YouTube. But the issue is we can't make a profit off of it, which was never our goal. But forest, like the California Forest Service will come after us if we try and submit it to like film festivals. It's really dumb. Really? Yeah, yeah. So That's like, a shame. It's a real shame because it would do really, I know for a fact it would do really well. And so we're like, it's been out for, I don't know, six months, seven months now. And I DM my buddy the other day. I was like, Hey, like we should submit it to this film festival in like Northern California. He's like, we'll get us, if we get a cease and desist letter, we can get like sued. I'm like, I don't think forest surface is gonna, is gonna know, but like, I don't know. That's wild. Yeah, it's real. It's it's because we didn't get commercial permits, but we abided by all the rules. It was a personal. It was it was this whole. It was a really big deal for a bit. You, you can't get those afterwards after the fact. No, well, it was. This is a bit of a rabbit hole. I don't want to go too far down <laughs> it, but it's like because there may or may not have been sponsors involved. Like somebody was making a profit out of it, but like really, no one what like no one did. Yeah, yeah. Like, like to share a story. So, um, we'll see. I'd, I'd love for it to go to some film festivals. I know it, the, the team that worked on it worked incredibly hard and did yeah, it's awesome. It's really well done. Yeah. Amazing job. So all credit, all credit goes to them. I just happened to go for a long walk in the woods. So <laughs> yeah, man, that's, uh, I was, um, I don't know if you heard about this, like Iceman. Have you heard about this? Yeah. Wim Hof. No, 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 not Wim Hof. Um, there's this guy, he, you know, like, you know, the, oh, Iron the, the Iron Man in the Antarctic. Exactly. Yeah. So that's the same brand. No way. Yeah. So Vincero. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So my buddies actually shot that too. Get out. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they were on, that was the first big project for Vincero. And then what happened was Vincero created this contest called chase your legacy. And I was actually the first $5,000 like recipient for winning that back in 2020, right? And it was only because like, 
I didn't win because of like nepotism or anything. It was literally my buddy who was on the prior project and is, was involved in Vincero. I was like, Hey, like you have a crazy story. I know you want to go do Whitney. Like you should go submit your, do a video submission and like see if you win. And then ended up blowing everyone out of the water. And that's how that pro that's how the whole film came to be. Was that wow. So the, the Iceman challenge, um, one of my filmers, Sam Newton, who's like, a uh, big YouTuber and like photographer, influencer, that type of, you know, guy. He, uh, he was, he was the, the creative lead on that project. Yeah. Yeah. They were shot. Um, they were shopping it. And I think they got an offer from, you know, one of the big like streaming services. And I think they turned it down for like, they you know, were losing creative rights to it essentially. Yeah. Um, and I think they're, I think they're, I don't know. I think they're crowdfunding it now or something. I don't know, but it looks awesome. I've seen the trailer. It looks so cool. Oh, we might be thinking of a different thing then. Never mind. Mm. Okay. There was there was somebody who did an Iron Man. That was Vincero's first. Uh, yeah, it's probably a mix up because mm. Iceman. There was another film from Vincero that is focused around an Iron Man down in the Antarctic, and like swimming in ice. Like full yeah, that's ice. that's gnarly. <laughs> yeah, pretty gnarly. So damn. Well, all right, dude. Well. I know, I know we're like way over and I told you we wouldn't go way over. So I apologize there, but uh, it was, it was honestly really great. Like just, I know we met prior to this, but it was like super brief. So it was really good to get to know you. We have a lot of similarities, I think um, what we'll find, but anything you want to plug or while we hop up before we hop off? Uh, No, I think my only suggestion to you is go do an ultra marathon. Yeah. (laughs) The the public challenge. Yeah. Public. No, I mean like really, you, you, you said it yourself. You're like, it's hard to, to get into certain things, you know, being in the city. I don't think it's as hard as you make it out to be. I think it's a matter of that community piece, finding that community and integrating yourself into that community. Yeah. Right? Like I didn't just fall into like this ultra athlete community. Like it was a connection that was made through my creative director who was on my project like over a year ago and then i fell into like the leadville race series and i was shooting photography for that thing right so and like doing um doing support camps or what is it called um crewing for runners there so um it was very organic but i I would suggest to you one if you if you find it in yourself to go look into ultra marathons because i think they are the best type of humans and the best community to be a part of and then two uh making an effort to go integrate yourself into that community or or maybe the the appalachian trail like hiking community in some form Mm. Um, i think it'd be a really transformational growth piece for you especially being being so deep in the city so yeah yeah no i appreciate that i'll I'll keep you updated on my uh like my action sport adventures (laughs) and see how they go yeah all right man thank you